with encouragement to go big in your prayers. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Make your requests to God extravagant. God has generosity in his heart. And I'm not talking about financially extravagant, although that's God's choice. He might bless you financially in amazing ways. But I mean extravagant because God himself is generous and he owns everything and he wants to change the eternal destiny of every person on the planet. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. It's been suggested to dream big, start small, but act now. Well, today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray will challenge us to go big. We begin a new book this weekend, and that's 1 Thessalonians. And we'll be inspired by this scripture that our God has great things he wants to give his children and do in this world. We hear the Lord did amazing things through the church then, and he seeks to do so today. I'm happy to tell you, he gives gifts of grace, peace, faith, love, and hope to the beloved of God. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, here's Pastor Ed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. And Paul writes, Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience or endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now from your word, that we desire to know what it means to have a work of faith, a labor of love, and endurance of hope in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Faith, love, and hope, a familiar trilogy to believers everywhere. I love the old story of the British big game hunter who was in Africa going through the jungle, high-powered rifle, and he comes around a corner, and there's a huge elephant laying dead in the path. And there's a little pygmy standing right next to him. And the guy looks at the elephant, looks at the pygmy, and he said, did you kill him? And he said, yep. And the hunter said, well, how in the world did you kill him? What did you use? He said, I killed him with my club. He's astonished. He can't believe it. He said, you killed that elephant with your club? Well, how big is your club? He said, well, there's about 60 of us. 
For many believers, the life of faith and love and hope is a beast. It's a huge thing that seems like it's impossible to get around. You feel like you're going up against an elephant with a toothpick in life. But we can learn a lesson from the pygmy that it's not a solo experience. That in fact, this life, this walk with God of faith and love and hope is done within the body of Christ, other believers. And we need to lean on each other and expect others to give us support and encouragement along the road of life. That's exactly what Paul is doing here in this letter to a church in northern Greece. He's encouraging them in their life of faith and love and hope. Now, every time we get to a a new letter, a new book, an epistle of Paul's, we try and give you a little background information to entice you to uh, read along and get into the book and uh, really grasp what's going on. The church in Thessalonica was in northern Greece, what was called uh, Macedonia in those days. And it's below Philippi where Paul had been, wrote his letter to the Philippians, and it's about 50 miles down the coast. Now, Thessalonia uh, was a city that originally had a wall around it, and in that wall is that doorway, and that doorway is standing from the first century. That's the same passageway, the gateway, the Vardan Gate that Paul went through. Here's the inside looking out, and it looks out on uh, the Via Ignatia, the Roman road that ran between Rome all the way across the top of Greece through Croatia and what's modern day northern Greece into Istanbul. This steel, this plaque was in the wall and uh, it describes the Pollock, the members of the council of the city that Luke wrote about in Acts 17 when he said they came there, they were taken before the rulers of the city. And this word that's used here, the Greek word, didn't appear anywhere else in, in the Greek language until this stone was uncovered. And all the critics have said, no, Dr. Luke's a terrible historian. You can't trust the Bible. This is the only other place that it, in fact, was found. This stone names the queen Thessalonia because the city was named by her husband, smart men, guys, listen. He named the city after his wife. He was Alexander the Great's brother-in-law when Alexander the Great died at 33 years old. Then uh, Cassander named this city after his wife, Thessalonia. It's one of the few cities that are in the Bible that are still thriving today. It's a huge city, 1.1 million people when you take the entire metropolitan area. There's a Baptist church there that traces itself all the way back to this time. So after um, Paul had been in Philippi, he was chased out of town. You remember, he came to Thessalonica. He was only there for three weeks, three Sabbaths. He preached in the synagogue. And then the Jews came down from Philippi, and they started a riot against him. So we're looking at a letter to a church in the first century that they had only been Christians for a few weeks. Paul left there, went down to Athens, and then Corinth. And he writes this letter after he sent Timothy back up to see how the church was doing, Timothy came back with a great report. Church is doing good. The gospel is planted. In fact, they're already going out and sharing it all over northern Macedonia. And so Paul writes, sits down and writes this letter from, from Corinth and to encourage them. So we believe this is Paul's first letter. Some modern-day theologians 
point to Galatians, but when you read through Acts, it's obvious to me that this is the first one Paul wrote. So we're looking at this uh, very early letter of the Apostle Paul, probably 52 AD, and it's written to a small church in northern Greece. And he writes to them about these subjects. The introduction is so powerful that we're only taking five verses this morning. Grace and peace, the first two verses, and then a powerful verse, verse 3, that speaks of this faith, love, and hope, and then being beloved by God in 4 and in verse 5. So let's jump in and see what God might say to us 2,000 years later, how these same things apply to our lives today in the body of Christ as we walk in faith, love, and hope. Verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, the letter's written by three people, Paul says. I think he's being generous. He uses the word we 48 times in the epistle, but the pronoun I he also uses, and it fits the structure that Paul uh, used in so many other letters. So uh, not to take away from the other two guys, but I just think Paul is probably the guy that's dictating and did most of the writing. So notice the church at Thessalonia is in God, that it was founded by God and God is in them and they are in God, as is true for your life and mine. And it is a difficult concept to grasp, but that the creator of the universe has taken up residence in you and is in his church, the people. The church is not the building. The church is the people, the Ecclesiastes, the called out one. Now, God the Father and the Lord Jesus, he says twice. We'll see the Holy Spirit in verse 5. So Paul is uh, speaking of the Trinity, being very clear to these young believers, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the church and the church in them. Grace. And he gives us his uh, Siamese twins for the introduction of all of his letters. He says, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now, it has two concepts that are significant, I guess you could say. The first is that those are common greetings between the Greek world and in the Hebrew world, that Greeks would greet each other with the word charis, uh, or actually a derivation of it. Karein is greetings to you, but it means graceful greetings, good things to you. And shalom, from the Hebrew, is peace. The order is important, and I, I never want to rush through this because I think it's the gospel captured in two words. Grace is first, and then peace. Because you'll never have peace with God or the peace of God in your life until you first have received his gift, because grace is a gift, his gift of grace. So when we receive salvation, his gift of grace through faith, then we receive the peace of God. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace, proclaiming the gospel in two words, grace and peace. Now with part two of today's teaching and more on this gift of God described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, here's Pastor Ed. God wants you to have a gift. That's what Paul is reminding them of and you and I. It's a gift that he gives daily, constantly. He's pouring out his grace on this planet right now, seven billion people. 
but he is specifically pouring out grace, gifts onto your life, into your heart, into your mind right now. He's gracing you with faith because faith comes by hearing God's word. Just by the sheer act of us reading it together and it being up there and you looking at it, faith is coming into your life. Now, you may be here as an agnostic or as an atheist, and you're saying, no, I'm not sure I, I want anything invading my life. You do. <laughs> you really do need God in you because you're unaware of what that means. In fact, agnostic in Latin is ignoramus. Don't take it personally. Because I was an ignoramus for the first 26 years of my life, only worse, I was the atheist without God. But know that God wants to grace your life, give gifts to you, and peace right now here in this place. First verse, second verse, we give thanks. We are grateful to God always for you all. Someone said Paul is from the south. He says, y'all. We give thanks to God always for y'all, making mention of you in our prayers. So Paul is very positive about this church. He's excited about what God has happened. He's just gotten word back that after only three weeks, the gospel has been firmly planted, and they're actually going out and sharing their newfound relationship with God with other people. So Paul is excited and it's interesting when you read through this letter, and I, I pray that you would, the first and the second letter, because the subjects that Paul covers are not the things that we normally talk with young believers about. He talks about Jesus' return. He's quite clear in the fourth chapter of this letter, we'll see, and in the next book, too, about the eminent return of Jesus. Well, pastor's been 2,000 years. Yes, but it's still eminent. It could happen at any time. So Paul is writing to them and making mention to God of them. He's praying for them. What do you think the Apostle Paul prayed for them for? What kind of things? I submit to you that Paul was a man of prayer. He talks about prayer in every one of his letters. Men and women of God that God uses mightily are always men and women of prayer. They spend time with God. They speak. They talk to him. They have communication. But communication goes in two directions, to God, and then we have to stop and listen. I have two ears and one mouth. I have to keep reminding myself. Make your requests to God extravagant. Paul is going to bring that out very clearly in the next four chapters that God has generosity in his heart, and he wants you to act. Now, I'm not talking about financially extravagant, although that's God's choice. He might bless you financially in amazing ways. But I mean extravagant because God himself is generous, and he owns everything, and he wants to change the eternal destiny of every person on the planet. So I'm reading about Alexander the Great this week because of his sister, uh, this city being named after her. And I came across an old story I hadn't seen in a long time. But it's an interesting one when it comes to asking a leader. God is what we're thinking of. But Alexander the Great had a general from this area, Macedonia, Cassander, who ran into financial difficulties. 
And so he went to Alexander and told him he was losing his home and that he needed money. Alexander didn't ask him how much. He said, go to the treasury and tell the treasurer whatever amount you need. The guy was stunned. He said, thank you. And he went. He asked for so much money that the treasurer said, wait here. I got to go back to the throne room and ask Alexander. So he comes to Alexander and he says, so-and-so is asking for this much. Is that okay? And Alexander says, yes, it blesses me. And the treasurer had a, a perplexed look on his face. Alexander said this, the man has paid me a great honor. By the large size of his request, he is showing his perception of both my wealth and my generosity. Perhaps even more gratifying yet is that he takes me at my word. He understood Alexander's wealth and generosity and he believed what he said when he said, go ask for whatever you want. Now, one of the amazing things about the New Testament, two scriptures that have always grabbed me since I was a young believer. The book of James says, you have not because you ask not in the old King James. You don't have what you need because you didn't ask God for it. Make extravagant requests to God. The other one, Jesus himself said, how much more is given to them who ask? Those are stunning scriptures taken in context that are even broader than you might think. God is saying, ask. I have some requests before him. Think big. Think really big. Think like reaching the entire Inland Empire for Jesus. Think about reaching. I'm not going to tell you what I'm asking him for. I have about five things that are just ridiculous. They're so far out there that there's no way it would happen unless God does it. Change California? Do you have faith? <laughs> That's a lot of faith, brother. I'm not sure I can go with that. How about the United States? Revival for this United States. How about the world? But I'm just giving you examples. I have this little sign on my computer, and I've quoted it before, but it says, attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God is in it. It won't work. There's no way it'll happen unless God pulls it off. And that way, there's no danger of me going, well, I sure was... God's lucky to have me. I mean, yeah, it's hard to be humble when you're so good. No, 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 no. It's so impossible that it was, it's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen unless God does it. And then he gets all the honor for it, all the glory for it. Take God at his word. You have not because you ask not. What's the worst he can say? No. But he might say, you're asking too small. Wow. Third verse. Here's the biggie. Verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope or endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our God and Father. Okay, so Living Bible, as we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work. We're remembering. When we pray for you, we can't help but be reminded of your faith, love, and hope. Now, Notice that each one of those words, and they're familiar words to us uh, because we study them in Ephesians. Paul uses them, the three together, this trilogy. They're sometimes called the three cardinal graces or the three spiritual attitudes, but actually they're three gifts from God because they come from him. They're not something that we rev up. 
This is not a rah-rah sort of cheerleading verse. This is Paul saying, these things are in your life. Now, we know them in a slightly different order from the famous verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that's read it, weddings a lot. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Because Paul was writing about love and being loving in the way you present the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a church. But Paul, we believe, this is his first letter. And so this is more in the chronological order that it works its way out. These graces work their way out in your life and in mine. So faith works, love labors, and hope has patience or endurance. The work of faith. Faith. Faith or trust or belief, same word. Faith is an attitude of dependence upon God. That's simple. Trusting him. Putting your faith in him. Believing that what he says is true. And actually be willing to test it, to go out on a limb. It is an attitude that expects God to do what he says that he does. Faith is not a work, but faith does produce a certain result that can be called a work. In other words, you cannot get faith by working for it. You cannot get saved by doing enough good things. I hope that's very clear to all of you. I had a guy last night, though, that that wasn't clear. He grew up in the same church I did, and he thought faith was something you had to work for. No, no, because God gives you faith, the result is you want to serve him. God gives you faith, yes, Romans 12, 3. To each person is given a measure of faith. So any faith that I have, I can't go, wow, I worked that one up. No, you received it. God gave it to you. Don't be taking credit for anything that God did. Actually, that's true about all three of these cardinal graces. That faith is a gift, love is a gift, and hope is a gift from God for you. You have to learn how to exercise them, how to embrace them, how to make them part of our life, but they are God's gift to you and to me. So your work produced by faith. Notice work is singular. It is a specific thing that God led you to do, and there'll be a stack of them, but you just do it in, in response to God. The Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, speaks about a quality of life. It's not a one-time occurrence. It's this gift that comes into your life and changes your perspective, your world vision, your view of life. Without a vision, people perish. Those of you that have been in the Redlands Bowl, you'll know it's across the top. Without vision, people perish. It's actually a proverb. Without a spiritual vision of what God is wanting to do in your life, you'll die without having accomplished what God wanted to accomplish through you. That's a challenge. That's God saying, get a vision from me. I have plans for your life that are amazing. Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying 1 Thessalonians with Pastor Ed Ray here on the weekends. To hear this program again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or you can call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. 
We want to say a special word of thanks to those of you who support Grow in Grace, and those that do this month will send you a special resource. What is the key that unlocks God's blessings? In a word, grace. That's the emphasis in Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. In it, he explores the mystery of grace and reveals why we can never grow in grace by our own efforts. It comes from the Lord. We'd like to send you a copy of Why Grace Changes Everything for your gift of any amount. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write to us, as that would be very uplifting to hear. And if you have a question related to our study or a prayer request, by all means, send those our way. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. We invite you to join us next weekend on Grow in Grace for more on the gift of faith, the labor of love, and patience of hope. There's more to discover from the scripture on these three cardinal virtues God graciously gives. And we'll see you then when Pastor Ed Ray returns to 1 Thessalonians. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your